You are listening to Meat and Potatoes, a 12-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. Meat and Potatoes is an expression used to convey the most important and basic part of an idea or practice. This series will explore some of the most critical elements of Christian faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Thanks. It's great to be here. It is really um, a privilege to be at uh, Jubilee. If you are new today or if you've kind of just been uh, coming for the last couple of weeks, one of the things you probably don't know about Jubilee is that it has a great influence not only across our nation, but in the world. And uh, it's a great church. Sometimes, you, you know, you kind of visit churches, you're trying to figure out which church is for you, and you think, oh, the music and the preaching. And, but actually, one of the most important things is that churches don't just have our, their eyes on themselves, but have their eyes outward. They take their mission to St. Louis and Washington and the lake very seriously, but they also take their mission to the nations very seriously. And so, uh, well done for showing up today. And I want to highly recommend Jubilee to you. It's a great church. It's blessed me over the years. I, I am from Tacoma, Washington. Uh, we've been there for the last eight years. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and uh, we've been planting a church there. And um, church planting is like riding a, a wild roller coaster. It has its high highs and its low lows. And uh, we are really seeing God's grace and mercy on us as, as we continue to see people saved and added into the church, which is what this is about. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And uh, that's what we get to be a part of as a church. And that's what you're a part of here. So it's super exciting. So, uh, hey, I'm uh, excited to be in this series, Meat and Potatoes. And as this morning has gone on, I'm super excited about meat and potatoes. I'm starving. So um, this, is, uh, this is a series on the staples of our faith. So this isn't, um, you know, the fancy side dishes and the green beans and the fried okra. and the, This is about just the staples. I mean, all those things are delicious. Don't get me wrong. But this is about, like, what do we really believe as Christians? What is it that Christianity is really about? And uh, to be honest with you, uh, over the years, I've struggled to know what Christianity really is about. Um, we, I grew up in a family that moved around a lot. My dad was in the Army, and so we moved every two or three years. And uh, I grew up in a Christian family, but when I was born into a family that didn't really take their, ser- their faith seriously. But when I was young, maybe one or two years old, my mom had kind of a crisis in life and had one of those coming to Jesus moments where she literally went into the bathroom, cried out to God, if you're real, show yourself to me kind of moments. And God graciously and mercifully showed himself to her. And it was one of those moments where she just got the whole thing. So she went from one moment kind of not really walking with Jesus to the next moment. You know, she's talking to people in the grocery store about Jesus. She's doing all these things. And one of the things she did, because she had a real heart to see others experience Jesus the way she had, was that um, on our answering machine in our house, it would say, you've reached the Noonans. We're not home right now. But if you leave a message, we'll get back to you. All that's normal, right? And then she would say, and know that Jesus Christ himself loves you. And so that's today, if we called my parents today, that is still on their answering machine. And uh, she has a real heart for people to know that. Now, the flip side of that is my dad was a little slower. So my mom went in the deep end, took the floaties off and got the whole thing. My dad was dipping his toe into the shallow end. That was his uh, journey to faith in Jesus and uh, dipping his toe in, kind of unsure about things, you know, uh, grew up in Boston, Irish, kind of stoic figure, uh, unless it came to the Red Sox. And, the, and so 
he, he was a little bit slower in coming to his faith, which is, uh, by the way, a very valid way to come to Jesus is to, to do that. You can jump in the deep end, that's great, but you can also just dip your toe in the shallow end and ask lots of questions. Jesus isn't offended by your questions. He's not insecure, so he'll answer your questions, and he's brought people to this church to help you answer those questions. Um, but I would say uh, that he was slightly embarrassed sometimes by my mom's behavior. So uh, his friends would say, hey, what's your phone number? I'll give you a call. And he'd say, well, we don't really have a phone. Um, you know, you can send me a letter, and I'll get back to you in three to five business days. And, you know, he just, he was a little bit unsure of this kind of deep end stuff. And so that kind of affected my life in terms of moving around. We weren't a part of churches that much because we'd move and kind of find a church, and then it would be time to move again. And that, and, and kind of seeing the two different journeys that my parents were on, uh, was kind of confusing. What is Christianity really about? What is this whole thing about? And so today, I want to talk about some misconceptions about Christianity. You know, there's lots of misconceptions about Christianity. One of the ones that I lived with over the years was that Jesus had come to save the good guys. That if you could get your, your life together and you could figure some things out and you read the Bible and morally you were kind of, you know, you were doing everything as best you could, then Jesus came for that person. But uh, obviously, I hope you know that that's not true. Jesus came for the bad guys. Uh, he's the hero of the story, not coming for the good guys, but he came for the bad guys. And so there's lots of misconceptions. And so I want to go through three misconceptions up front, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about this, uh, this, this topic of the kingdom of God, which is a staple of our faith. It certainly was a staple of Jesus' teaching. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right into that. Lord, we just... Thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for uh, this time being in your presence, Lord. It's just no small thing for us to be in your presence, singing your praises, hearing your voice, Lord. We thank you for that, uh, that just that moment of knowing, Lord, that, wow, you're in the room. And Lord, we know that you'll stay in the room as we look at your word. And I just pray that you would, uh, you would open our hearts, Lord. You would dig deep into us and you would transform us and you would shape us and you would mold us. And pray for anybody here today who's, who's just wanting to dip their toe in the shallow end, Lord. I just pray for grace for them just to ask the questions they need to ask and to step out in faith where they need to step out in faith. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the kingdom of God. One of the misconceptions about Jesus and about Christianity is that Christianity was only about a new moral teaching. That Jesus did come, and, and, and that is partly true, that Jesus did begin to expound on uh, what morality was. So he said crazy things like uh, adultery isn't just uh, physically having an affair with a woman or having sex with a woman. It's actually, if you look lustfully upon a woman, that you have now committed adultery. It's not that you've actually physically murdered someone, but if you have anger towards someone, you have murdered someone in your heart. He began to raise the bar of this kind of moral code. And, and, and by the way, that was on purpose, that, that he would raise the bar so high that none of us could get over it. Because if we could do it ourselves, we wouldn't need him. And that would be irresponsible of our God to give us away without him. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants us to want him. He wants us to need him. And so Christianity isn't just about only this new moral teaching because if it was, uh, you know, the, the bar would be so high that it would be kind of like uh, someone asked you, say, hey, do you play basketball? And you say, yeah, I play some basketball. And I say, well, do you play like LeBron? And be like, well, no, I don't play like LeBron. Well, then you don't really play basketball. You know, you haven't hit the mark. You know, it's like, do you play baseball? Well, I play a little baseball. Like, oh, do you play like Yadier Molina? Well, no, I don't play like, like Yadier Molina. 
Well, then you, you're not really a baseball player. You haven't really hit the mark. And what it would do is it would leave us always traveling and never arriving at the Christian faith. If it was only about a moral code or raising the moral bar, it wouldn't, we would always be traveling somewhere and never arriving somewhere. So that's not exactly what Christianity is all about, although a lot of people believe that Christianity is about morality and behavior and, and kind of just being good people. Well, that's a misconception. Secondly, it's not only about a path to heaven. Christianity isn't only about a path to heaven. Now, is it? Yes. Well, of course. Jesus said, I'm the way. We sang that just now. The truth, the life. I am. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to the Father. You can't get to the Father except through me. That he did show us how we could enjoy God and, and enjoy heaven. That, that, that we can end up on the right side of eternity by trusting in Jesus. But that's not what Christianity is only about. And that's a misconception. We kind of hedge our bets. And uh, I meet people all the time who kind of like, yeah, I've dabbled in Christianity uh, just a little bit, just in case it's true. You know what I mean? Like I kind of do whatever I want to do, but I did pray some prayers and I give a little bit of money to the church and I show up occasionally at a couple church meetings and might even dabble in community group just in case so that I can end up on the right side of eternity. Well, that's not only, that's not the only thing that Christianity is about. Although it does provoke us to ask lots of questions and make sure we answer this most important question we could, any of us could ever ask is, who is Jesus and what did Jesus come to do? It has eternal consequences that we get that question right. So we should be asking that question. Well, thirdly, it's not only about Jesus showing us who the Father is. Now, again, that was part of it. He did show us who the Father was. For, you know, for years and years and years, people knew this God who sits in unapproachable light. They hadn't seen him. And, and, and Jesus comes to earth, and, and we're told that he was the exact replica of the Father, that he was uh, the image of the unseen God, that Jesus shows us who the Father is. How does God feel about those who are sick and outcast? Well, Jesus showed us that. How does God feel about religion and people who kind of build up religious walls? Well, Jesus showed us that. He didn't like that. He didn't like walls that were built up that prevented people from getting to God. So Jesus showed us who the Father was. Definitely that was part of this part of who, what Christianity is. We trust in Jesus. He's not only the one who's come to save us, but he's the criteria for our faith. We must put our faith in Jesus and believe that he's come to die for our sins. And not only has he emptied us of our sins, but he's filled us with his righteousness. That's the amazing transaction that took place on the cross. We gave him our sin, and in return, he gave us his righteousness. It's amazing gospel. It's hard to believe at times, but that is the truth, that he gave us his righteousness. So it is about that in a lot of ways, but it's not only about that. So what is it then? What is Christianity about? Well, it's a reality that there is a God. It's a reality that God created. It's a reality that God created us in his image. It's also the reality that sin entered the world and broke our relationship with him, broke our relationship with each other, broke our relationship with ourselves. And then it's about a reality that he sent the solution, Jesus, to die for us and to save us. It's, it's about that. And it's about not just that. It's about this, I, this truth that he came to bring a kingdom that he, he came to bring a kingdom, not, not just a philosophy, not just a morality, not just a, a way to heaven, but to bring actually a kingdom. So when we talk about the Bible, 
Um, one of the easiest ways to, to, to just kind of explain to someone, what's the Bible about? Well, you can do it in four words or phrases. You could say that the Bible was about creation. The Bible then shows us that chaos entered the world. It shows us that there was redemption, and that wasn't a, a, a philosophy. That was a person named Jesus, and that there's a new creation. So the Bible has a beginning, a middle, and a new beginning, it doesn't have an end to it. At the end of the Bible, it doesn't say the end. It says, and all things were made new, and here we go. And so there's a creation, there's a chaos, there's a redemption, there's a new creation. Now, oftentimes in our culture, in Christianity, we focus just on the middle part. We focus on chaos and redemption. We focus on the fact that you have sin in your life, and you need a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Now, again, that's great. That's a good message to share with somebody, that they need redemption. But there's a more compelling story. There's a better compelling story than just chaos and redemption, but actually that he created things perfectly. He created things so that he could be involved in it, that he could be in relationship with it. That got broken, but at the end game, he was wanting to bring everything back under his authority, back under his reign and rule. He wants to make everything new again. He wants to reestablish things the way they were before sin entered the world. This is a more compelling story, and here's the reality is we get to work with God in the redemption of all things. We get to work with God in the renewal of all things. That's the call on each of our lives. Isn't that we just got fire insurance and we get to go to heaven? But that when we got saved, when we, when we gave our faith, we put our faith in Jesus, and I put our weight on Jesus saying, we give you everything we've got so that, that we can be in relationship with you. He adds us into being a part of the renewal of all things. That's a more compelling story than just, well, I got to go to heaven. No, 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 we get to be a part of the renewal of all things. That, 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 that means when you go to work tomorrow or this afternoon or whenever you go to work, that you're not just going to work to get a paycheck. You're not just there to be like, oh, I'll do whatever the boss tells me to do or, or boss some people around, whatever your role is at work. But you actually are there to be a part of the renewal of all things. Now, if you can't find a way that, that that's working itself out in your job, it might be because you're in the wrong job, like you're doing something corrupt. You know, like if you're dealing drugs or if you're in the porn industry, you're, it's hard to renew those things. But you can, be a, you can be a part of God's plan to renew all things through your job, through your neighborhood, through your school, through your workplace, through your family. That when we wake up in the morning, we aren't just like, well, one day we'll, we won't wake up. <laughs> one day we'll, we'll be in heaven with Jesus. No, no, we get to wake up and we're a part of the renewal of all things. We get to work with God in that way. That changes everything. And Jesus preached that. Jesus said, listen, this is about a kingdom coming. This isn't just about, let me show you how to get to heaven. This is about me inviting you in to work with me in the renewal of all things. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, they longed for this. They longed to see this thing happen. They longed to see God work in renewing all things. So if you uh, are familiar, there's a prophet named Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, Isaiah is kind of talking about the future, what it will be like. God had spoken to him, and he shares this, and he says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. I mean, you're picturing this, this calves and lions, they don't chill out together, they don't lay down together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Now, Reality is, is that the bear grazes the cow, right? In the world we live in today. 
And we, I don't blame the bear because cow is delicious. But that does not happen. They don't just hang out together. Yeah, we eat some grass together today. No, no, no. I'm going to eat you. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Listen to this. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. How many of you have read parenting books and it, you know, chapter one, don't let your child play over the hole of the cobra. It's not in those books, right? There's an assumption made in those parenting books that you know that already. That was free parenting advice for you, that one. And wean child, so the bigger children, shall put his hand over the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The prophet is beginning to see this future place where there's a a, a world that's not at odds with each other, a world that's not at war with each other. Uh, it's it, it, from the people to the animals that there are there are there is there is no strife there is no conflict it is a it is a world that is at peace now the bible in, in the hebrew uses this word shalom and that word shalom typically gets translated as peace which is true it is but it's not just like peace like i hope you don't get in a fight today it's peace as in the whole world is right Everything is right with the world. God is in his place. We are in our place, worshiping him. All is well, all is right. That's what the word shalom means. And and this whole plan of redemption, as we kind of look through the whole Bible, is that he wants to restore shalom. He wants to restore the world to the way it should be before sin entered the world and began to damage all these things. Just like in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world. Adam and Eve, at peace with each other, at peace with themselves, at peace with God, at peace with creation. See, there's so many prophecies in the Old Testament, we don't have time to go through um, those today, but there's these promises that God was not just going to forgive us of our sins, but that he was going to do that, plus he was going to bring us into his family, and he was going to be present with us, and that he was going to add us into the work that he's doing to renew all things on the earth. And then all of a sudden, as you kind of move through the Bible, we get Jesus. And when Jesus shows up and he's in, 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 in his life and his ministry, he's healing people, he's raising the dead. You know, he was terrible to bring to a funeral because you paid the funeral cost, you bought all the food. And he was like, oh, sorry, he's alive. And you're like, you know, what are we going to do with all this food? So um, th- this, he, he, he was healing people, he was raising the dead, he was casting out evil spirits, which you're like, wow, that's, that's intense. Yeah, it was intense because he didn't want people to be tormented by evil. He didn't want people to be suffering under sickness. He didn't want people to be suffering under death. And so he began to do something. And what happened was heaven and earth began to come together. Because we're told that Jesus is a king. And he's the king of heaven. His kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And, And when he came to earth, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven began to collide together begin to interact together. And it began not to just intersect, but begin to interlock. And Jesus began to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. And, and, and just he began to see this world changing. This world that everybody just kind of had come to grips with. Well, that's just the way it goes. 
You get sick in life. You have bad relationships. Things just don't go the way you want them to go. And, and Jesus came to say, no, I've got a better plan, a plan to renew all things, a plan to redeem. See, God's plan of, of redemption and God's plan to save us wasn't that like you would pray a prayer to receive salvation and then you would like in a vacuum go up to heaven. That didn't happen to you, right? I don't think it happened to you. It didn't happen to me. And the reality is he left us in a corrupt world. He saved us from our corruption, and he left us in a corrupt world because he wants us to be in this world to be a part of the renewal of all things, to stay in this place and to do what he wants us to do and to uh, transform the place that we live in. So before sin entered the world, it was peace. It was shalom. Well, our lives now, we're told through the scriptures that we have been forgiven of our sins. We have been forgiven. We, we, are being, we are free from our shame. It doesn't mean we get our lives perfectly right today. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the way God sees us because of his son Jesus dying on the cross for us, we are forgiven of our sins. He stands in our place, the perfect one, and he hides us in him so that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin and our shame. We're free from that. We're not slaves to that anymore. And now we're not only a part of that, but we're a part of turning an upside-down world right-side up again. That's the invitation that we have through the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus began to preach after, uh, you know, he grew up and he began to preach. And in Matthew 4, 17, he began to preach this message. Time and time again, we're told, he said, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means this, that we were going in this direction in our selfish lives, and we were doing what the world wanted us to do, when the world wanted us to do it, and we were doing all those things just to kind of please ourselves, to please and gratify our own flesh. Repent means that you turn 180 degrees from that, and you go in a different direction. And that new direction that we go to is we are heading towards Jesus. We go towards his cross where he... Uh, paid the price for us, and we're no longer selfish. We're no longer gratifying our own flesh. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to be people who obey God. We want to be people who are involved in what God's involved in. We want to want what God wants. That's who we are as a people because we've repented. And he says, not just that you would just kind of leave a, a thought process, but you would actually enter into a new kingdom, that you would be citizens of a, a whole new thing. Now, we're uh, uh, if you're an American citizen or wherever you're from, you've got a passport that says, yeah, you're a citizen. Well, we have our passports. We've been marked by the Holy Spirit that says, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, that we belong to him. We belong to his kingdom. So when Jesus came and he was preaching that the kingdom of God was here and he was telling people, repent, go away from that way of the world and come into my kingdom, he, and he would, he, would, he would kind of prove it. He would say, let me prove to you my kingdom. Be healed. Come alive. Be free from evil. So he would preach it, and he would demonstrate it. He would preach it and say, come on, repent, believe, enter into my kingdom. Let me demonstrate what that kingdom's like. See, it wasn't like Jesus just was doing tricks. And for my next trick, let me get your attention with this one. You know, he wasn't just doing that. He was actually demonstrating. There was a message being preached when he healed people. And the message being preached when he healed people, we find um, helpful advice from Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And now, here's what the kingdom's going to be like. Here's the answer to why Jesus was healing people. He said, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He was saying, John, John was the apostle. He got to see into what this whole thing was going to be, like the finished thing would be like. And as he saw it, he said, look, there's not going to be any tears. There's not going to be mourning. You're not going to be sad and depressed anymore. You're not going to be sick anymore. You're not going to die. There's no death. And he began to show, see what this world is like. So when Jesus came and he said, be healed, he was saying, like, that's what it's like to be in my kingdom. The ultimate, fulfilled, finished work of the kingdom all come together is that no one's going to be sick. No one's going to walk with a limp. No one's going to have a hard time getting out of bed any morning. There will be no cancer. There will be no death. He will put an end to death. And, 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 and this is the thing that, that he's saying, I, I want you to know that I want you as citizens of this kingdom right now. This isn't a future thing that we enter into one day that actually when we became Christians and we, we said, Jesus, we trust you with our lives. We became citizens of the kingdom and we began to work with God in the renewal of all things. That changes the way we see our city, our towns. That changes the way we see our nation. That changes the way we see our faith. That we aren't just here to kind of argue with people over what's, you know, does God exist in these things? Yeah, those, those are important at times. But it actually says, look, you are involved in the renewal of all things. Why are you here? Why are you where God has you right now? Why do you live in the house you live? Why do you have the job that you have? I don't know. I don't even like that job. I'm supposed to have this other job. I'm supposed to have been promoted already. No, no, God has you there to work with them in the renewal of all things. It changes the way we see our lives. It changes the way we get out of bed. It changes our Monday. Because we're not just, oh, I'm a Christian. What does that mean for you? Well, it means I get to go to heaven. Well, what else does it mean? Well, I have to go to these meetings. <laughs> I have to put in a little money on a Sunday. No, no, no. We are new citizens of a new kingdom. We're about something that's so important. We are about the most important thing on planet Earth. The most important thing that the Earth has ever seen is the mission of God, and we are on it together. Whether you're in Tacoma, Washington, St. Louis, the Lake, Washington, wherever you are, God has called you for right now to be a part of the renewal of all things. And I don't know about you, but that's like, one, one part of me is like super excited, like, great, my life gets to count. And another part of me is like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> this is so intimidating. And that's why we join together as a church. That's why you join together in community groups. That's why we link arms together because it's about us as a people locking arms, not just even this church, but this church locking arms with other churches. We lock arms together and we say, hey, this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. 
when we see suffering and broken relationships and, and, and hardship on the news and we see uh, you know, terrible, terrible things going on globally, terrible, terrible things happening where we are, we, we say, look, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And you know what God would say to that? You're absolutely right. It is not the way it's supposed to be. And now I have called you, I have a plan, and we are going to work together. We're going to co-labor together to be a part of the renewal of all things. We're going to see things change together. I mean, this is kind of a crazy deal. Jesus says, you know, he grabbed 12 disciples and he said, this is what we're going to do. And then they grab some people and they grab some people. And then, you know, they have big, a big revival in Acts 2 and 3,000 people are added in. Down the line, today, about a billion people named the name of Jesus globally. This thing is expanding into the hearts of people. Now, sometimes it feels like one heart at a time. But the, the kingdom of God is expanding and extending and it will know no end. Isaiah 9, verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace and of shalom, there will be no end. This thing will keep going. It will not end at a border. It will not, it, Jesus's kingship does not have a term limit on it. He doesn't have to run for re-election every four years. He is the king eternal and forever. And so his throne is not up for grabs. And, and he has invited us into this thing to see it expand and expand and expand and expand until it fills the earth. The knowledge of the glory of God fills the earth like the waters cover the sea. It'll extend it will extend. He said it will start small. He told us that. It's not a surprise if it starts small in your heart. Like, I, I believe, kind of. It's okay. God said it would start small. You know, a little bit of activity here. That's growing. Our community group, we're doing a little bit in our neighborhoods. It's growing. It's growing. Yeah, that's okay. Don't be afraid of the small stuff. He said it would start small, and it would begin to expand and expand and expand. I remember when we planted our church in Tacoma, there were eight adults and four kids, and we all showed up from different parts of the country, and we drove in, and we had rented a house, and we all sat in this living room together, and um, it was Sunday, so it was like, I guess we should gather, because that's what you do as Christians on Sunday. And we all looked at each other like, we've made a huge mistake. (laughs) Like, what have we just done here? We've left friends and family and security and comfort to go. And now it just, over time, starts small, expands. It grows, it grows, it grows, it grows. It's the kingdom of God. There's a promise over the kingdom of God. No, it's not about us. We get to be a part of it. We're just kind of jumping in on it. We're just kind of riding the coattail of Jesus on this one. We want to be where he is. We want to do what he's doing. And so we jump in to do that. Because I don't have to tell you this, that the, the places that we live in are not okay. They're not safe. You know, my, my neighborhood, our car gets broken into several times. You can't leave anything in your car. It just gets broken into. It's not okay. But I could sit there and complain. I could get on Facebook and be like, oh, someone broke into my car again. Or I could get out and be a part of what Jesus is doing, extending his kingdom to see the renewal of all things in my city and beyond. See, now, let me just let you in on a secret. This, this obviously isn't happening fully yet. We're tasting it. We, we do see, we see people healed. You know, we see people come to know Jesus. The kingdom is on display in a lot of ways, but it doesn't always come. We pray for people sometimes and they don't get healed. You think, well, what's going on? Well, we still live in this kind of broken, shattered world. But one day we will live in this kingdom where there will be no sickness. So whether you get healed now or, you, or, or not, you will get healed later. As you've trusted into Jesus, you'll enter into this new world with no sickness. 
no sin. See, we minimize Christianity. One of the reasons that uh, the elders at Jubilee want to talk about this meat and potatoes things, one of the reasons is because we can be guilty of minimizing Christianity down to things that Jesus didn't talk about, that Jesus didn't die for. And one of the, 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 the reason he died was to usher in this new kingdom, that we would be a people, not just church attenders, but we would be citizens of the kingdom who are out on the thing, doing things and embracing things. There's a promise over your life that as you are a citizen of a kingdom, the kingdom of God will expand. Whether you, you know, you're sharing your faith with people that you are, are getting to know in your neighborhood or you're you know, just maybe doing simple things like serving people in your neighborhood, the kingdom of God is expanding. It's growing. It might start small. Don't get frustrated. Don't give up. It's going to grow. It's going to expand. It's going to expand. It will move. Because in Matthew 16, 9, we got this crazy verse. This is an, these are one of those verses in the Bible where you're like, really? Did some, are, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Jesus says to his disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, like, you, you remember, uh, for me, it was, we had this old uh, white Ford Taurus. And I got my driver's license, and my dad gave me the keys. And I just, you know, I was super pumped about it. But I was super nervous about it. Like, this is my dad's car. If I crash this, I'm in deep trouble. I mean, it felt a little irresponsible of him, to be honest. If he knew how I really acted, like with my friends at school, he wouldn't have given me these keys. But that's how Jesus says to his disciples, I'm giving you the keys. I'm not hands off. I'm here with you. I will be with you always. I've given you my Holy Spirit, but I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys to unlock things, to, to unlock things in your neighborhood, in your workplace. It's exciting. It's an amazing thing. So let, let, let us not be a people who reduce this down to, uh, I'll go to this church because they serve this kind of coffee or they have donuts or they don't have donuts or, or they do this with their kids. Look, we can't reduce Christianity down to that. We, we, we are minimizing what Jesus actually came to die for on the earth when we start to say like, didn't really like that song. I think I'm gonna go check out a different church. We're actually invited into the kingdom. And as a church, we lock arms together to see this kingdom extend and expand in our city. Can we be that kind of church? Can we be that kind of church that sees this thing as a kingdom thing, not just as a meeting thing?